Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, brought to you by Ceres. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. Annual spending by the U.S. government amounts to $630 billion, which makes Uncle Sam the largest purchaser of goods and services in the world. A new rule proposed by the Biden administration would require large federal contractors to publicly disclose their greenhouse gas emissions and other climate change risks, as well as set science-based emissions reduction targets. Ceres is highlighting the opportunity for companies, investors, and concerned citizens to submit public comments on the proposal through January 13, 2023. In today's Sustainable Finance podcast, I'm joined by Sarah O'Brien, CEO, Sustainable Purchasing Leadership Council, Stephen Rothstein, Managing Director, Series Accelerator for Sustainable Capital Markets, and John Kostiak, Series Consultant. We're going to highlight details of this proposed rule and encourage our listeners to submit public comments on its proposal through January 13th. But before we start, I want to say a few words about our sponsor. I'm thrilled to talk about the important work Ceres is doing. Ceres is a nonprofit organization working with the most influential capital market leaders to solve the world's greatest sustainability challenges. Through their powerful networks and global collaborations of investors, companies, and nonprofits, Ceres drives action and inspires equitable market based and policy solutions throughout the economy. To learn more, go to series.org slash podcast. That's C-E-R-E-S dot org slash podcast. At Ceres, sustainability is the bottom line. Hello, Sarah, Stephen, and John, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thank you. Nice Thanks to be so here. Thanks so much for having us. Yes, this is a very important program for us going into the end of the year, and I know Ceres really wants to get the word out on this proposed rule. So let's start with you, Sarah, taking the lead on this first question that we have to ask. The very largest federal contractors, companies like Lockheed Martin and Boeing, would do the most work to disclose their climate change risk under this proposal, including preparing a risk assessment and a science-based emissions reduction targets. Please give our listeners more details on this focus on very large contractors within the proposed rule. Sure, Paul. Um, you know, over a, the decade that the Sustainable Purchasing Leadership Council has been around um, doing this work, we have found that there's a very close alignment between uh, the largest spend uh, contractors or categories for a, a procuring organization and their largest sustainability impact. And that consistency holds true for emissions as well. Ordinarily, if you look at the top, it's a Pareto analysis kind of a thing. If you look at the top 20% of spend, uh, you will find that those are a very uh, significant portion of your um, uh, climate impact. So I think the federal government is doing a great job at, at kind of assuming that 
They've done studies on, on emissions uh, from different categories of products and different contractors, obviously. Um, and they're, they're moving to address the largest tranche of their emissions immediately. Um, I think the other piece that's really important to understand is that this is really a market-focused, market-based solution. Most of these large contractors will already be well on their way to being able to comply with this new regulation. Um, so most of these very large contractors are already being asked for this kind of reporting and target setting by their largest uh, commercial clients. So both things make this a very good strategic approach to launching into this risk reduction and emissions reduction initiative. Great. So it sounds like this, there's, there's a lot of crossover here uh, between uh, for-profit companies and the federal government. John or Stephen, do you have any other comments to add to what Sarah has said? Sure. Just to follow up exactly what Sarah said. So there's about half a million companies that's, that provide goods and services to the federal government every year um, that this rule would only require the top roughly one or one and a half percent of those companies because uh, they represent over 80 percent of the admissions. So it's exactly as, as Sarah said. Most of these companies are already doing that, you know, 92% of Fortune 500 companies are already submitting, not to the federal government, but putting on their website or someplace else, some type of climate information. So it makes sense from that perspective. But it's also, as a taxpayer, I'm glad that, that the federal government is doing it because it's going to reduce the risk that if, imagine if you're a company, if you're the federal government and you're buying from a company, you don't know that their supply chain affects things you know, from an area that's been flooded or with there's fires or droughts or other climate risks. We've all seen in the last three years how fragile the supply chain is through the pandemic. Um, and whether it be baby diapers or food or chips for cars, uh, microchips or things like that, supply chain is very fragile. So this is really, it's not just this makes sense for the president's environmental needs, but it's also to reduce the risk increase the resiliency for the federal government. As a taxpayer, it's a sound business decision. Okay, John, any comments that you'd like to add? And then we're going to go back to Stephen for the first uh, part of our second question. Go ahead, John. I'll just make a very brief comment and say this is the federal government taking off its blinders. It cannot see the climate risk <laughs> that it is experiencing right now uh, because of these uh, scattered disclosures and inconsistent disclosures that are showing up on websites all <laughs> across the Internet. We're going to get a standardized format to really make uh, uh, the federal government operate in a more business-like fashion. Okay, now, just for all three of you, I just wanted, this is an add-on question here, but well, what kind of reporting requirements and tracking requirements are going to come into uh, play related to this, either through the SEC or other organizations or, or infrastructures, reporting, uh, reporting infrastructures that the federal government uses and corporations will be using going forward? So one of the things that the federal government did, which we think is a great idea, is they've partnered with four nonprofits that are already doing reporting. So they don't want to repeat, they don't want to duplicate. And so there is the, the TCFD, the Task Force for Climate Related Disclosure. Yes. CD, there's a lot of initials. I won't go through all of them, <laughs> but, but there's four groups and the overwhelming number of the companies use probably all four of these or some combination of those. And so, it, 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 you know, literally thousands and thousands of companies are already using these. So the combination of those we think is a very good thing. Okay. 
And I just note, um, Paul, that this is a proposition for the federal acquisition regulations. So this really just focuses on folks doing business with the federal government. This doesn't really relate to external financial markets. It may set a model for the kinds of performance that can be um, delineated in other systems. But as Stephen says, the federal government has done a very good job over the past many years at aligning with voluntary initiatives that are not new regulatory proposals, but are the, the feds using existing systems to meet their own needs for data and risk reduction. Great. All right, Stephen, back to you for uh, the next question to begin. Uh, there are a lot of other large contractors that will be required to report under this, uh, this proposed letter, but their disclosure will only require them to report on scope one and two carbon emissions. So could you give us more details on why this approach is being taken within the proposal? Yeah, it relates back to the thoughtful comments that Sarah started, basically saying is the companies have the biggest impact, they should have the biggest reporting. So the idea is that if you are a supplier and you provide less, your contracts equal less than $7.5 million a year, you don't have any requirements except for to certify the size. If you're between $7.5 million and $50 million, you do scope one, scope two, and those are, you know, the industry would say are easier. And I bet, as Sarah said, overwhelming number of companies are already doing this. They may not be filing it with the federal government, but already disclosing that. So that, that, and then if you're the largest over $50 million, then it's scope three and transition plans. So it really highlights uh, that where, and, and those that are over, by the way, um, 50 million, that represents two tenths of 1% of the suppliers, so very small number of suppliers. And again, those, the the big defense companies and financial institutions and others, I will be surprised if they're not all doing it. So this, this focuses on the companies where they have the biggest impact, probably already doing reporting to get the most information. We think it's a very thoughtful, graduated approach from the federal government. All right, John, well then we're gonna go on to our third question for you to begin. and. That is uh, that the federal government has achieved a 32% reduction in carbon emissions across its buildings and fleets of vehicles since 2008, thanks to environmental procurement programs. What kind of savings for taxpayers has been achieved in this time frame? And a second question or an add-on would be, do you expect more taxpayer savings from the proposed rule? Sure. So, uh, Paul, the federal government has estimated the amount of savings we are getting from the existing environmental procurement programs, and it's roughly $12 billion per year. Uh, under this rule, we're expecting dramatically addi uh, additional amounts of savings uh, to the taxpayer, and I can give you the reasons why. This rule applies economy-wide. It deals with both the physical ri risks of climate change as well as the transition risk, so physical risk. Right now, we are seeing every year 18 climate-related disasters that are imposing more than a billion dollars of costs. Uh, that's a, a massive increase over previous numbers. That's just happened in the in the past uh, five years. And so think about with the inevitable momentum of climate change, how much the numbers are going to go up unless we tell our federal supply chain, we need to get you involved in uh, building more resilient infrastructure. 
this proposal allows that to uh, uh, become possible for the first time by giving visibility to those contractors to pick the right suppliers who are capable of delivering those kinds of resilient products and services. Uh, similarly, on the transition risk, many companies are very prepared for the new world we're entering of decarbonization. Others are essentially in denial and do not have transition plans. Right now, the federal government does not have visibility into which ones are truly ready for the energy transition and which ones are not. This rule would make that possible. And just think about the possible savings. As the Ukraine invasion demonstrated, fossil fuel costs are extremely volatile and, uh, and, and escalating right now. And we have a lot of evidence to suggest that that, uh, that trend will continue. On the other hand, energy efficiency and renewable energy have demonstrated already and will continue to demonstrate massive cost save, uh, savings for people who buy their products. So the federal government finally will have visibility in which companies are able to deliver the more um, cost efficient products and services and can deliver those savings to taxpayers. Uh, last thing I want to say on this is a number of leading experts on the energy transition have said that if we don't get greater visibility into which companies are ready for the energy transition, which ones are not, we're at risk of a global financial collapse along the lines of what we saw in 2008. And that is because the markets are not prepared and there could be many business failures and asset deflation. If that happens, the federal government essentially once again will be the financial backstop. The last thing we want to do is saddle the taxpayers again, like we did in 2008, with the cost of that kind of collapse. We want to avoid that at all costs for many reasons. This rule would enable us to av avoid those costs as well. So massive, massive savings to the taxpayers if we can uh, move forward with this proposal. Yeah, I'd say, now, John, thanks for that last comment. It sounds like there's a lot of um, a focus here on risk reduction as part of that kind of process within the proposed rules. Sarah, would you like to comment any more on, on that possibility? Sure. I think, um, you know, this, this taking climate in hand, <laughs> making sure to understand and address one's climate risk is a fundamental responsibility of business at this stage of the climate crisis, at this stage of our financial markets, um, because of the need to drastically reduce risk. So many companies, I know that the private organizations that we work with, as well as public organizations, are looking very strongly across their portfolio of operations, companies, divisions, to make sure that they understand this risk because it is very significant to them, both in terms of their procurement, in terms of their ability to access the commodities and products and services that they need, but also in terms of their own operations, um, you know, being impacted by uh, energy cost and energy scarcity. So I think that this is just good business, um, both for the federal government and for private organizations to be addressing risk as they do in so many other instances. Let's go forward now. Uh, and uh, we're on to the next question where, Sarah, you're going to take the lead again. Uh, yep. Through this proposed rule, the U.S. will be the first federal government in the world to require suppliers to track and report climate-related emissions, as well as set emissions reduction targets. What's the significance of being first in this situation for the U.S.? 
Yeah, it's interesting, Paul, because as we've been discussing, um, this is not first in the sense of first in the market, but very much a first for a national government. And because the U.S. national government is the largest purchaser in the world of goods and services, uh, that's a really big deal, um, as Joe Biden might say. Um, so, um, but this is really a continuation of what the federal government has been doing for the past 25 or 30 years, which is to leverage the use of their procurement to support both policy goals uh, which might, which they might have to spend money otherwise to support. Um, procurement is a very good lever for driving progress. But the other piece is that the federal government has come to a really well-considered position where they um, ask for suppliers uh, to comply with existing voluntary uh, systems out in the world. So they leverage eco-label certifications. They leverage, in this case, uh, existing reporting certifications or existing target setting uh, uh, systems. So the idea behind that is very different from, say, EU governments, where there tends to be a lot of focus on regulating suppliers, um, sort of prescribing how products and services should be delivered, what adequate supplier performance looks like, and so forth. Um, the U.S. takes very much a voluntary market-based approach. Um, and in this new leadership position on emissions reporting and target setting, I think is really bringing consistency to what is right now uh, a chaotic marketplace of reporting systems, data collection systems, supplier rating and commitment systems. There are hundreds of these initiatives swirling around in the marketplace right now. And so I think it's very helpful at this stage for the federal government to kind of um, make some selection based on very good analysis of what is most commonly subscribed and what can be sort of central, clear uh, initiatives that people can get behind, that companies can know, if I report into this system, if I set a target in this way, I will find rewards in the marketplace, not only through the feds, but because of the Fed's buying power uh, through many of my other uh, customer relationships. So I think it's, it's a first um, in terms of really clarifying this current emissions reduction market. Um, and that's super helpful. Yeah, John or Stephen, thank you very much, Sarah. Any any additional comments on this? It seems like we're uh, we're we're stepping into a lead role that's uh, very significant from the standpoint of uh, perception, in my opinion, when it comes to investors and and financial advisors and the, and the capital markets. Uh, any additional comments on what Sarah's said? Yeah, I, I, first I agree with you and I agree completely with Sarah saying. So on the one hand, it's the lead role. On the other hand, the federal government's been doing this on a variety of things for decades. I mean, whether you look at veterans benefits or equal opportunity or in the 80s, recycled paper, or there's a myriad of other things, they've looked at those for procurement just recently on COVID areas. So they've utilized, again, as the largest purchaser in the world, it has such a big impact. Uh, the federal government announced this as part of their commitments at COP back in November. Um, but this is part of a worldwide effort of there's a basic knowledge like on any risk. You can't manage a risk if you can't measure the risk first. And this is a federal government 
not saying, okay, we're not going to tell you what to do. We just want to have information. And then that will help us and the market will decide. And investors have clearly spoken. I mean, in the context of this, it's important to say that, you know, five years ago, Paul, there wasn't a single investor who had said, institutional investor, they were going to have a net zero commitment, not a single one. Right. Today, it's investors over 200 that have collectively have $66 trillion. That's a lot of zeros. $66 trillion that have made a net zero commitment. They're not doing it because of they think that's the quote right political thing to do. They think from a fiduciary perspective to protect their investors, their pension holders, whoever they're uh, uh, managing money for, it's the right thing to do. And that's from around the world, both US and around the world. So the capital markets are speaking, and this is aligning with that very holistically. Great. I think that's a very important point that you're making. Stephen, John, anything to add? You know, I would add is that we have had experience with the federal government sending signals to the market with respect to solar and wind energy, uh, with the various incentive programs we've had over the past decade. As a result of sending those signals, the taxpayers and consumers are uh, right now enjoying many, many billions in dollars of savings because we are able to get those industries to a level of scale and achieve what they know, uh, achieve learning curves, essentially, that put them on a trajectory for steady cost reductions, um, steady and almost guaranteed cost reductions. We can achieve that with many other products and services for the benefit of taxpayers with this rule going forward. Terrific. Okay, Stephen, back to you for our final question for the panel today. And that is, why should companies, investors, and concerned citizens submit comment letters regarding the proposed rule by the January 13th deadline? Yeah, thank you, Paul. So this is really democracy in action. The federal government says, here's what they're recommending. They've issued a very thoughtful um, uh, proposed rule. And they're giving companies, individuals, nonprofits, academics, anyone the chance to comment. So if people think it's all perfect, great. If they, if they like the idea and they want to change it, if they don't like the idea, whatever it is, we encourage everyone to submit comments. I mean, clearly, if you're a federal supplier, absolutely. But anyone else who has a, a perspective on this, um, series has a draft letter. That'll be available on the website, or somebody could email me, S. Rothstein, R O T H S T E I N, at series, C E R E S dot org, S. Rothstein at series dot org. Uh, happy to share that. It's on our website. It's on, it's on Paul's website here um, in terms of information. And we hope that everyone by Friday the 13th submits a comment. Whatever you think, I think it'll help the federal government make better decisions. Um, and this will be a decision that affects all of us not just for those companies that are suppliers, but as taxpayers. Uh, again, we think this will reduce the risk, increase the resiliency to the federal system through the adoption of this exciting rule. Great. So, Sarah or uh, John, any quick comments? Uh, we're, we're running out of time for today's program, but I did, would like to get any other comments you have on this question in the program. I want to thank you, Paul, for publicizing this. This is extremely important. Um, it's really an historic opportunity to make progress on climate change and reducing risk to taxpayers and the economy. Sarah? And I would I would just add a, a very short example. I, I uh, was part of developing an electronics environmental certification that the federal government then embraced as its voluntary um, certification for all IT products. That has become a global system with 
literally trillions of dollars flowing to uh, products that are certified under that very rigorous standard. So I've seen personally the effect that these acquisition decisions can have uh, to improve, clarify, and lift up whole sectors. So I encourage folks to think of this as a continuation, not a departure from uh, federal best practices, um, both saving taxpayers money and uh, achieving environmental and social goals. Um, So very positive. Terrific. Okay, well, thanks again to our expert panel of series climate advisors for joining the conversation today. Sarah O'Brien, CEO, Sustainable Purchasing Leadership Council. John Kostiak, series consultant, and Stephen Rothstein, managing director of our sponsor, the Series Accelerator for Sustainable Capital Markets. The Series Accelerator is a center of excellence within series that aims to transform the practices and policies that govern capital markets to reduce the worst financial impacts of the climate crisis. For more information, go to series.org accelerator. That's C-E-R-E-S org slash accelerator. And to our listeners, join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Happy New Year to everyone.